you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Palladino, and today I am honored to be joined by Carmen Baker. Carmen Baker is first my friend um, because we're in the same sort of geographic location, not too far from each other, but Carmen is a board-certified lactation consultant who has been helping moms breastfeed their babies since 1999, first as a La Leche League leader and working in private practice doing home visits as an IBCLC since 2005. She has a bachelor's degree from Princeton University in art and archaeology. Carmen credits her sons, born in 1991, 1994, 1996, and 2000, as her inspiration. She states, they taught me so much about breastfeeding, its joys, and its challenges. Through these experiences, Carmen realized there was a clear need for excellent and knowledgeable breastfeeding support in the northern New Jersey area. Carmen is very passionate about the work she does, and she loves nurturing new families through their new beginning and finding solutions that suit their needs. Thank you so much for being with me here today, Carmen. I really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. It's so good to see you again. Um, we we kind of got closer because we went to that conference together yeah. in Vancouver, the International Consortium of Ankylophenia Professionals. Uh-huh. So that was a blast. And um, uh, we have so much to talk about all the time regarding yes. helping our families. It's yes. a pleasure to be here to talk to you and be in your podcast. Thank you, Carmen. And, you know, just for for you listeners who are joining us, when two IBCLCs get together and talk, we can talk for hours, but we'll try not to make this episode too long because, uh, you know, we know you have more, you know, better things to do than listen to us catch up. But one of the reasons that I wanted to have Carmen on is because Carmen works at a hospital. And we haven't had anyone who works at a hospital doing lactation on the podcast yet. And Carmen's experience is unique. And I'd love it, Carmen, if you'd describe to me what your job is like, especially since you're not a registered nurse. So many lactation professionals in the hospital start out or are employed also as a registered nurse and do lactation either on the side or as their primary job, but have that RN behind their name. And you're one of the um, one of the people that I know that doesn't have that. So tell me about that. How is it different for you? 
Well, I felt very lucky that my predecessor, who used to run the program here, was also a non-RN IBCLC. When I was hired here, I was part of the qualifications that made me attractive was that I was bilingual, Spanish and English, and we do have quite a few Spanish-speaking families delivering here, but also that I had facilitated group discussion uh, running new mom support groups from my La Leche League training. So, and this hospital provides a really nice, very popular, uh, very well attended support group for new moms in the postpartum period where we meet weekly. That is one of the things that I do every week here, um, which is very special because I get to meet the families that delivered here again and see how their journey is going after they leave the hospital. That's beautiful. Yeah, I just I just want to interrupt you a minute because I don't know if anyone who hasn't had the experience of working in the hospital appreciates how beautiful that is. Because I remember when I worked at the bedside, I would just hope and pray that these moms did okay. And we had like references we'd give them for afterwards, but we didn't have, except for the people that were in the WIC group, we didn't really have that continuity of care. So you're making a relationship with the parents in the hospital and they know if they come to the group, it's you they're going to see. That's that's a wonderful thing. Yes, it is. It, it They feel very, I think I had a mom write a little gratitude thing saying that she felt that we were taking care of her and her baby, mm-hmm. you know, long term, not just, you know, time, but she felt, and she, they always also feel like it's a lifeline when, if they have a rough Mm -hmm. night or they're having a tough week, they know if they come to group, they know that they're going to get the support that they need. I I hope that you're tracking your successes. I hope there's some kind of tracking going on there. We have a signing sheet. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. All the names of all the moms who attend our group regular basis. Right now, we have about 15 to 25 participants on a weekly And, and, um, I bet that if you were able to track their percentages of, of continued breastfeeding for those who come to your group, as opposed to those who don't go to a group, I guarantee you, because I I know what that's like, it makes such a difference. They're going to continue breastfeeding. They're still feeding. They're still, they exclusively breastfeed much longer. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they go back to work and are, they have a good plan set in place to maintain lactation once they go back to work. Uh, we discuss so many different things. A group is an entire topic of conversation by itself. You know, there's so much that we do with the group. Not only are they coming, we are just basically say, you know, please introduce yourselves, introduce your baby, tell us how old your baby is, and share with us the highlight of your week and the challenge of your week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes everybody speaks and shares their thing. Sometimes what one person is sharing as their challenge is the same challenge as another person in the group. So we're answering the same question for several people at the same time, or we're guiding them or helping find them solutions that work for them and their family. It really is about because no one knows better than that person themselves what the different challenges in, in details of pieces of the puzzle for that particular family, how it all fits together, and what is the one thing that's going to help them succeed the most. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, When it comes to going back to work, we're talking about um, 
what pump am I going to use? What flanges am I going to fit? Uh, what kind of pumping schedule am I going to be able to have? What type of bottle are we going to use for feeding my baby so that it doesn't interfere with my baby's ability to breastfeed well? Um, mm-hmm. that, those type of situations. Um, right. That's beautiful. I, I love that. And I, I think that all families deserve that. And I hope that model um, continues. Right. I just wanted to say that I have moms who come to the group like they came to the group in 2017 for example and they call us up and reconnect and tell us oh we now have a business in town and I actually it's one of the businesses I'm just going to put a plug in for them it's called the hive (laughs) they have delicious cookies and coffee and they donate (laughs) cookies and coffee coffee on the first Wednesday of every month and they're very popular the line to go to this place and buy their cookies and treats goes around the block on certain de- uh-huh. times. Of the week. But this is um, uh-huh. a mom business. These are two corporate moms who by meeting in the group decided that they didn't want to work in finance in New York city anymore. They wanted to have their own family oriented coffee shop here in town. And they made their dream come true. Uh-huh. And now they service more families and they come and continue give back to the group. So wow. it's super nice. Wow. So the group um, is doing so much more than just helping moms breastfeed. Are you a professional that feels like you didn't learn enough about tongue tie in school? Whether you're a lactation consultant, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a midwife, a doula, a doctor, a speech language pathologist, a chiropractor, PT, OT, dentist, etc. I don't mean to leave anyone out. Anyone who works with pregnant or breastfeeding families in any capacity who is curious about tongue tie is welcome in the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant. What you'll learn, we have four modules, assessment, treatment plan, phrenotomy, and aftercare. So much great information and it comes with a community. I didn't learn this in school, did you? Tongue tie treatment can be complex and those who expect relief of symptoms with a quick snip or even a laser release, even by an experienced provider, are usually disappointed. Join me to learn protocols that offer an organized and simplified plan to support families through decision-making, preparation, treatment plans, procedure if needed, and aftercare. Learn the teamwork model of care. Knowing why and which providers are necessary will make things easier for you and provide effective outcomes for your patients. Please sign up today. The link is in the show notes, but you can go to my website, tongue-tie-experts.net. Go to the professional tab. And one last thing, since you listen to my podcast, you'll get 15% off just by using the coupon code PODCAST15 and the word PODCAST is all in caps. Can't wait to see you in the group. Take care. Um, I think it's important to talk about challenges in early breastfeeding. Um, You know, this is Tongue Tie Experts Podcast and we talk about tongue tie all the time and tongue tie is just one of the challenges that new parents face. So, I, you know, what, what would you say are the top three challenges that, that prevent moms from breastfeeding in the very early days? 
top three. There are so many. Um, right. Top three would be long, protracted labors mm -hmm. uh, ending in a surgical intervention. That would be my number one mm -hmm. challenge mm -hmm. because I'm just going to say a little bit of why. Yeah, yeah. Because you have a mom who's been laboring for two or three days on IV fluids for a few days. Uh, more IV fluids because she also have a C-section. Usually sometimes it's an emergency and they have to go really quick in. Uh, sometimes, you know, um, it's like failure to progress and then it, they go into the OR. So she's mm -hmm. exhausted from laboring for three days. Now she has a major abdominal surgery. Uh, sometimes these babies are a little bit in distress. They may end up in the... Um, special care nursery for a little bit uh, to monitor them because maybe they had some breathing difficulties up on exit or the color wasn't good or, you know, a few other things, body temperature. Uh, although we are one of the few hospitals in the state of New Jersey, if the only one, that does immediate skin-to-skin -skin in the OR. Great. Babies. When they're yeah. fine and the mom is tolerating it, we will put the babies on top behind the screen on mother Yes, bare chest, bare baby, and yeah. either myself or one of my per diem lactation consultants or another staff member is going to be there watching and making sure that both mom and baby are okay so that the mother can be distracted from the whole process of the repair on the other side of the screen and she can begin bonding with her baby sooner, which yeah. also sometimes we have some babies who actually begin rooting and going through the skin to skin process and latching. All right. So, but. We're, we do this to because we know that that long separation that happens from a C-section, sometimes these babies don't get back to their mothers till four or six hours later mm -hmm. in some situ situations. And that really is a major impediment to initiating breastfeeding because, as you know, yeah. those babies have that magical first hour where they're very, very, um, they're, all their primitive reflexes are on high alert and they're seeking and wanting to latch for the breast during that mm -hmm. first hour even into the second hour and after that they go for that nice long nap and if they take the baby away and then bring the baby away in the middle of that nice long nap it's really difficult to get that baby to latch on and if the baby has been fed then it's even harder to get that baby to wake up and latch onto the breast yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, let me just say a, a, a couple of things about that because when I worked at the hospital, I instituted skin to skin in in the OR, and it was it was amazing. It was it was so nice, and um, and you know, I I think it's important when we have these kinds of conversations to talk about that there are things that interfere that are out of the mom's control or out of the parent's control, Correct. and I don't want anybody to feel badly that they had this happen to them. It's just something that happens. And it's important to recognize the challenges that can happen because of situations without any blame, without any judgment, even if a mama, you know, chooses a, a C-section for one reason or the other, if that's her choice, it's still important for her to realize that there may be repercussions to breastfeeding. Yeah. And I, I think that we're, we're often afraid to make, you know, families feel any guilt or feel bad about their choices, but the choices do um, definitely um, have a result for the baby. So for us, if, if 
if, for, for example, if a mother really wants to breastfeed, then I see it as my job to try and protect that breastfeeding relationship mm-hmm. and make sure that we are in, we enable him. Of course, we're extremely encouraging. We're there to take care of them. Right. We want them to to we acknowledge, okay, you're exhausted, you're in pain. You maybe we need to like rest for now. Dad's gonna hold the baby, he's gonna do skin to skin with the baby. Um mm-hmm. If you would like us, we will do some hand expression so that we wouldn't have some colostrum and we'll spoon feed your baby your mm-hmm. hand expressed colostrum so the baby gets its initial feeding. Uh, it's a complex situation. We're always trying to uh, help a parent reach its their goals. Uh, yeah. You know, always. that's always. really what we're trying to do here. Um, and there's never any, you know, C-sections are needed. And there's right. nothing we can do about that. And it's not that somebody's doing anything bad about because they had a C-section. It's just like right. it was necessary. Everything was done to to help that parent birth. And if if we want to protect the mother and we want to protect the baby. So Okay, that's great. So that's number one. What what's another another obstacle or challenge that prevents moms from exclusively breastfeeding? Um when a baby um, is not latching well, okay, okay, that's the number two challenge. When you have a baby, let's say that um, it, in general, there are so many reasons why babies don't latch well, but when you have mm-hmm. ineffective feeding, that's mm-hmm. the number two latching <clears throat> problem. And then because of that ineffective feeding, we get into situations of too much weight loss, mm-hmm. high levels of bilirubin, mm-hmm. and hypoglycemia. Those are the three. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when uh, the healthcare the, the healthcare providers taking care of that baby immediately want to intervene, and it really is difficult to get them to understand that we can intervene with supplementation of mother's own milk mm-hmm. before formula. So formula feeding as a first intervention is the second biggest in problem right due to a baby's ineffective feeding right so there are some babies that appear to be feeding but they're not actually getting milk correct right Right. or what they parents even think they're latched on and even some staff members right right we just had a great initiative here um because of this very reason of the um, over-supplementation, also the high amounts, because sometimes supplementation is needed. And there's right. a tendency to give really large volumes on day one mm-hmm. to these babies. Uh, so this supplementation, for whatever reason, whether it's that the baby's tongue-tied, the baby has a very small mouth, mother has a large nipple, the mother has inverted mm-hmm. nipples, the mother has flat and inelastic nipples, the mother has nipples who are inverted, but when compressed around the areola, they retract and invert. There's many things that make latching, could make latching challenging. Mm-hmm. And a baby... Yeah, in, in, including just how the mom is feeling and positions she's able to get into. I, I remember the challenges of getting moms comfortable, especially a first-time mom who might have had a traumatic birth or a surgical birth, trying to get comfortable. It, it can be challenging. And then um, <clears throat> I, I would also add to that 
um, ineffective feeding, parents who aren't getting the right um, instructions, you know, maybe, maybe you're not available or at the time, maybe I wasn't in the room and nobody let them know how often the baby should be fed. And the baby was just kept in that swaddle. I, I used to call it a little uh, burrito wrap, you know, and they don't wake up to feed because they don't, you know, the baby's too young to, to know to wake up to feed out of that little swaddle and babies aren't put to breast often enough and not kept skin to skin. And that used to interfere. Now, I see, we had this whole initiative, right? Uh-huh. Um, and um, the past month of February, we were doing two classes a week for to make, and they were obligatory, compulsory for the entire staff, uh-huh. nursing staff. And even I had one pediatrician show up for maybe a third of the presentation. I did an hour mm-hmm. and 15-minute presentation. It was called um, Lactation Supportive Solutions to Breastfeeding Challenges. Beautiful. And we covered, it was like a condensed prenatal breastfeeding class, but for the staff. And then we talked about how to come up with breastfeeding supportive solutions that preserved a mother's choice, especially if they wanted to exclusive breastfeed their baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it involved a lot of education. Um, It's amazing to me that you know, we're not a baby-friendly hospital, but we meet the 10 steps, mm-hmm. except for one thing. We don't buy our formula. Okay. We get it for free from the formula companies. That's the hardest step. That's the hardest step. I worked for eight years on baby-friendly in my hospital, and I couldn't get past that either. We did everything. We couldn't eat. But staff, it, nursing staff wasn't even aware that we don't pay for this formula. Uh-huh. And it was, I was really surprised. I thought they all knew. And I was really surprised to find mm-hmm. that, that many of them were very surprised that we don't pay for our formula, that we get it as, as it's basically free marketing. Mm-hmm. So that's why they give so much of it so freely. Mm-hmm. And also the other, the other big obstacle I found is the misconception of stomach size mm-hmm. that triggered a whole discussion. Um, they think, you know, we're taught that baby stomach size, the first day or so of life, the capacity of volume is five to seven milliliters. Mm-hmm. And they want if when they have to, well, okay, so doctor orders supplementation with the baby, the baby comes back having been given 25 mLs at four hours after birth. So, and then they say, okay, do this again every two to three hours. Well, so why are you putting your baby on a formula, on a breastfeeding schedule when you just gave them 25 milliliters on the first day of life, a formula that's going to take longer to digest and they should really be then on a form. The next feeding is not going to happen until four hours later. Right. Really, the baby might not even be hungry much, past, much, much later than that. But then, so that when they try it, the two to three hour mark and the baby doesn't wake up, they assume something's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they give him they won't latch on at the breast, so they get more formula. And yeah. Then we get into this spiral. Are you a solopreneur or small business owner? If so, I want to ask you a question. Do you know exactly how much money you made in your business last month? Or can you find this number right now with just a couple of clicks on your computer? 
I'm Sarah Finns, finance coach and accountant and creator of Easy Business Bookkeeping, a course and system for tracking your business finances with ease. I want to bust the myth that managing the money in your business needs to be time consuming and stressful, or that you need to be a finance professional in order to understand them. With Easy Business Bookkeeping, you will get the tools and support you need to finally gain clarity with your finances so you can grow your business and your impact. Want to learn more? Go to www.sarahfins.com forward slash TTE podcast for details. That's sarahfins.com forward slash TTE, like tongue tie experts podcast. And I'll see you on the inside. You know, for those who don't know, for listeners who don't have a lactation background, um, I, I want to talk about that. But I also want to backtrack a little bit to the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. Um, and it's a rigorous certification that the hospital has to be certified in 10 steps. And one of the steps is purchasing formula because in general, hospitals do not buy their own formula. Um, formula companies donate quote unquote formula so that, um, they're, you know, they're, they have a, a captive audience, a captive uh, purchasing audience to get them hooked on that particular formula. I could have a whole episode just on that, but I think it's important just to note that because for us, it's, it's something that we just know, Carmen and I, but for other people listening, you may not know, especially have a lot of dentists who listen. They may have no idea what we're talking about, about purchasing formula. And, um, you know, it's totally against a code called the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes. But that's that's another that's a story for another day. But yes, that that formula is so slowly digested is why the baby doesn't wake up quicker, right? So if we think about that biologic need to eat frequently on breast milk, that's totally the way it's supposed to be for our biology. Once we give formula, it interferes with that. Now, sometimes we need to give formula, but I think the important point that you're making is the amount, right? I mean, babies are being overfed and that's makes things challenging. I, and I find that with my outpatient patients, you know, there, I just had a baby that was, um, two weeks old and already a pound over birth weight being supplemented with formula because there's not enough breast milk, quote unquote. And babies are only supposed to be at their birth weight at two weeks old. And this baby's over a pound over birth weight. So this baby's definitely being overfed by these well-meaning parents that don't understand how the balance works between the way formula is digested. Yeah. So then in the hospital situation, the parent needs to be told that if you want to preserve your milk production, if the baby's being fed via bottle some formula, then we need to either hand express and collect some colostrum, and in addition, maybe set them up with some pumping to stimulate the production. Mm -hmm. with, because then if you have this baby that's going to sleep six hours straight, and then she doesn't put the baby to the breast often, which is what biologically needs to be happening, then her supply doesn't get enough stimulation and it can cause a delay in the supply coming in, which further sets you into this spiral of low late onset of milk production and low milk production. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the challenges that we 
have are constantly handling over here. Now, after now that we did, I have to tell you one thing: the initiative that we did is working because we went up in our exclusive rate fourteen percent. Wow! A month just by education. So if congratulations! Yeah, that's a huge win. I can't wait <laughs> yeah. to see what the next month's numbers are going to be. Like, yeah, that's we're beautiful. Fingers crossed that we're holding. Because, you know, with, when you have an initiative, everybody's on board and then people can start to slide down and forget. That's why uh -huh. we're supposed to do this. The hospital, uh, the Joint Commission and the hospital um, regulations state that we need to be doing this education on a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important because you know, people forget, rates start to drop, you know, and we had to revamp it all over again. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's I, that's really something to be proud of. That's that's a nice jump. I could not believe it myself at first. Like, <laughs> what? Are we? This is right. This is amazing. It's yeah, a you know, one thing that I'd like to um, talk about about pumping is I find that I have people that either want to pump immediately, no matter what. Or are afraid to pump because they've been told not to pump before three to four weeks, right? Because that message got out, no pumping before three to four weeks without the caveat of unless the baby's not feeding at the breast, right? Do you know how many babies I've run into in that situation that are like starving? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that it's important to note that when a baby's not feeding at the breast, we need to encourage or help support, teach the mom to pump, to express that milk, not because the baby needs the milk, but because we have to trick the breasts into making milk for the baby for when the baby wants to come on the breast, right? Right. So, um, yeah. You have to protect, you know, rule. the rules for lactation consultant are simple. Rule number one is feed the baby. Rule right. number two is if the baby's not feeding well, you have to do something to protect the milk supply. And then rule number three is help that mother and baby get back together and work on breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Where there's Beautiful. milk, we can always get a baby to latch back on. Uh, once we work on them, once we um, do the body work that's needed, whatever the cranial circle, the craniopathy or osteopathic work, the physical therapy work, uh, then the releases, and then everything else. The, it, the milk is there. Everything's going to go much smoother. But um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I teach to our patients here upon discharge. If we have, you know, a few people here today that are going to need a pumping plan and follow-ups, you know, mm -hmm. to see when they can stop doing so much pumping. Once their milk comes in and the baby's doing better, then, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a process to get the baby from pump, you know, from pumped milk, bottle fed back to breastfeeding. And, um, I know I used to find that and, and still in the patients that come to me when the baby has been in NICU and they're trying to get back together because there might not be as much breastfeeding in the NICU. And then all of a sudden they're sent home with this baby and then they have to adjust and figure out how to feed the baby. So it's, it's important to have that guidance to get back to breast. Um, so, okay. So that's two. I think, I think that was two. Well, it, we, kind of, we, <laughs> we sort of overlapped. We, we hit on three, which is right. that 
that poor latching. Yes. That yes. poor latching then they really need help with latching in the hospital. Yeah. And I and I think um I think that was the other thing that I concentrated on in my talk to the staff is what is a good latch. Mm-hmm. And I so we devised this little tool where we're like, you know, is the baby able to latch? And sus- now, yes or no, can they sustain the latch and not for a long enough time and not? So mm-hmm. just like latching, right? Then are you hearing gulping sounds? Yes, no. Are you hearing clicking or smacking sounds? Yes, no. Um, are you hearing swallowing sounds? You know, are they really in, uh, infrequent or are they at a good pace or are they really frequent? Mm-hmm. Um, do we see lip flange or is the baby eating their lower lip or curling mm-hmm. their upper lip? Um, I went through all of these with every single staff member. Just a baby from a distance in the room. You open the door, you take a peek, you see the baby kind of at breast. You really have to get in there and take a good look to see if this is a good latch and observe it. And listen. And listen. Mm-hmm. And and maybe sometimes, like you said, you, re, you touched upon swaddling, which is one of the mm-hmm. things that I love to talk to parents about because... Mm-hmm. There's a whole, they're swaddled in three blankets. How is that baby going to get close enough to the mother's body to have a deep latch? Mm-hmm. We need to unswaddle the baby, open up. I like to open the shirt. I like to roll the sleeves back so the baby can touch and feel mother's skin. Something that I talk to parents about is like, do you know that your baby is born with like a trillion, I don't know how many trillion brain cells, and its job upon birth is to begin wiring and connecting those brain cells. The more um, sensory stimulation it experiences, the more of these are going to fire and wire. So you mm-hmm. have brain developing, you have awakening. So, And all these babies are constantly tied down in the tightest swaddle with their hands in and trapped. Mm-hmm. There were more... Um, they were able to do more with their bodies inside the belly than they're right now wrapped in these type of swaddles that they have. So it's almost like we're holding them back from progressing through their normal developmental milestones and they're getting enough sensory input for development. Mm-hmm. So I discussed yeah. that and I discussed the importance of doing skin t- as much skin-to-skin contact as possible during feeding and uh, that the baby needs to be so close to the body in order to get a deep latch. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you have we were just working with a parent a few minutes ago who had sort of flattish nipples, right? But they were flexible. You could shape them. And if you got that baby really, really close to mother's body, almost smushed under her body, the baby could latch and sustain the latch and drink. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why... Position is everything in life. Right? Yeah, you need more, and you need more than a five-minute quick peek and walk out of the room. Sometimes I think if you were asking me what is the fourth, not enough lactation consultant to birth rate ratio. Some hospitals are too big, have given birth to too many babies, and they don't have enough lactation consultants to really come in and spend enough time with the family to give them the support that they need to get off to a good start. 
I would totally agree with that one. <laughs> and when when I worked at the hospital, I was the first person hired as a lactation consultant at the hospital, and I was only part time. So not everybody was being seen because how could me, who's part time, see everybody? It was it was really, and I was in, also in charge of the administration and giving teaching and and all the things like you're right. describing, you know, and in charge of the statistics and. <laughs> going to meetings and right. interfacing I, with management. It was crazy. It was really crazy. But I did the best I can, you know, and that's all we can do is the best know. that we can. So we can't end this conversation without talking about tongue what tongue tie is like <laughs> for the hospital lactation consultant. And I know that there are a lot of places where um, tongue tie is a taboo subject in the hospital. Do you, do you feel comfortable telling us what it's like for you? Yeah, I feel comfortable. I have, it's been a journey mm-hmm. here. Okay. I think it's a topic that was not even addressed. I think the first time I saw, oh my goodness, there's this mom. I'll never forget her. She was so dedicated. She had her baby. She had had a C-section and she sat on that chair 24 hours trying to get her baby to feed. Finally, I'm seeing that, you know, the nurse tells me bilirubin levels are rising. And I'm like, mm. this is my one of my first patients that I saw ever when I walked, started working in this hospital in 2011, 2012, end of 2011, 2012. Um, I looked in the mouth and there was a tie right to the tip of the tongue. We got classic heart shape, right? So I said, oh my goodness. And mother's nipples were already pinched, split, mm. scab, you know. So I run over to our neonatologist very innocently. I'm, I'm, you know, all gung-ho and innocent and, doctor, so-and-so, this baby has a tie to the tip. And she goes, okay, well, just have her pump and bottle feed her baby. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) That was my start here. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. With it's been a process, but now we can talk about it. And I, my class, my educational class that I did for this stuff, I did talk about the four t- attachments. I did talk mm-hmm. about how the nipple, the nipple comes out when you have a type one, when you have a type two and three and a four. What does that mean? What are we evaluating? We're not evaluating just for appearance. We're evaluating for function. I covered, you know, I spoke about 10 minutes about ties, just to give them a sense. I even show them biomechanics of what mm-hmm. breastfeeding is and what's happening when the mid part of the tongue isn't elevating. We're not creating the vacuum. That was all thoroughly discussed with staff just this last time. Now, over the years, most of the nurses, uh, in conversations, we do huddles, we did discussions, we do we talk about case difficult, challenging cases, and I'll tell them, I'll go see you know, the nurse and I'll tell her, listen, this baby, there is a tie in there. I haven't yet told the parent. I'm going to talk to the pediatrician. Uh, I want to see how things are going, but I'm afraid that that baby is not really transferring. And I really want to set her up with some hand expression and pumping. And we may even have to supplement because I feel that the baby's really, really, really hungry and it's been working really hard and getting nothing. So that's a situation that we experience here. Mm-hmm. Now, at least they were on the same page and they were all beginning to recognize ties. And they would actually, you know, the nursery nurse would go to a birth and then she'll tell me, Carmen, 
wait till you see that baby in this room tied to the tip. Or they give me the warning so I knew what I was walking into and what I needed to work with. But that took, I've been here since 2011, 12 years. Wow. It's been a process and only with kindness and with patience and lots of one-on-one conversations with each staff member a little bit at a time and having them shadow me and observe what goes on and explaining over and over what's happening in that baby's mouth. And even with the pediatricians, you know, there's a few pediatricians who ask me a lot of questions about it and they want to know. And they actually want me to, I'm actually going to be doing a breastfeeding review for the family medicine program. And we, I have going to have a little section on ties so that they, they're going to get my explanation on how it impacts breastfeeding, but how we also have to take into account other factors such mm-hmm. as mother conditions. You know, are we talking about mother with a good production, with a nipple that's a little more protruded, more elastic, is it inverted? You know, you have a baby with a tie to the tip and an inverted nipple, you're in trouble. It's a double whammy. Right. Right. You have a mom. So it's it, it's about the function of it. And I think that what you're saying is uh, demonstrating what I believe. We don't have to fix a tongue tie in the hospital. We have to take care of the function and what's going on and stabilize that dyad. And give them the references and the education to go forward outpatient. Right? Uh, 100%. It is not, yeah. and I think it's actually premature to release ties in hospital. In most, I agree. Because the other component, which I wanted to get to, is sometimes these babies have been sharing space with a twin, with mm-hmm. a fibroid, with, I heard of a new thing, a bifurcated placenta. It's almost like an H-shaped placenta. Um, baby was transfer breech, frank breech, stuck in the ribs, you know, regular breech. All these babies that are stuck in a position for a long period of time are going to be tighter. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have feeding difficulties. And there may be a tie in there as well. But the first thing that we need to work on is opening this baby up mm-hmm. so that Yep. Then we can decide, okay, does is this functioning well enough? Does this, in many cases, they'll still need to be released, but the release is not going to be that effective if we don't treat all the other body restrictions. Right. You know? I, I keep hearing that same message. I mean, it's what I believe, but I keep hearing that from providers over and over. Um, I, I believe your, your um, interview is going to follow an episode that I had with a dentist who is saying the exact same thing. Like we, in the beginning learning about this, we were in such a hurry to release everyone, Mm -hmm. but now we're starting to take a step back and say, well, let's see what else is going on. First of all, let's make sure the tie is the problem. There may be a tie, but maybe the tie is not the problem. Yeah. And the positions and the, you know, I, I like to say the baby needs to uncurl, right? Yeah. To support the baby uncurling. That's very unprofessional, but people, ba- you know, parents understand that, what I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> and we have to support that uncurling. And if we release before the baby's uncurled, that's not, that's not fair to that baby because maybe the baby was going to stretch out and have enough tongue function and not actually be tied, you know? I'm so. telling you, even I, I practice something called rhythmic movement training. 
And mm-hmm. I will tell the parents here, you know, your babies, they'll say to me, why is he so scrunchy? I said, they use the word. So now I have the permission to use the word scrunchy. We can unscrunch them. And I'll right. show you a couple of moves that you can try out with your baby to help your baby loosen up a little bit. You know, you know, and I, I explain what I'm doing every step of the way and then do everything very gently just to get the baby a little bit more movement in the body. And they can see how all of a sudden the arms that were tight begin to open up. The legs that were, the knee was up to the rib begins to stretch out and unfold. So uh-huh. an unscrunched baby. And guess what's also happening to that tongue that appeared very tight? It's now elevating. Right. Because oh. they have room. They have the room for it now, now right? And lift. So now we say, okay, mm-hmm. let's try and see if the baby can sustain the latch a little bit better. Lo and behold, mm-hmm. it happens. Mm-hmm. Now, there may still be a need for a release, but but we've improved function, you know, right. tremendously. Right. I, right. And I, I was talking to you before the episode started, we were talking about um, craniopaths and osteopaths mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what an important role they have in this process because I've actually co-treated with a local craniopath here, brought a baby in who is, you know, a very obvious anterior tie, but could barely open the mouth. Guess what this craniopath did? Beside a, besides adjust the palate and help with the gassy stomach and square off the hips and, you know, make sure that the occiput um, bone was, or that the skull was sitting in the condyles in the mm-hmm. atlas she did a whole lot of work but then all of a sudden the mouth it's barely opening it's now opening wide and baby can lift the tongue and you can really see the tie so now what's going to happen when the provider goes to do the procedure is going to have an easy time you know right. doing it because there's a much right. more room and much more mouth opening to be able to right. that right and then that baby will have a lower chance of reattachment because there is so much movement, there is so much space for movement. If the baby can't move their tongue and we surgically release it, it'll just sit back down there, right? Right. It's fascinating. It's right. so fascinating. Right. So, um, Carmen, I just I want to just tell you how grateful I am that you took the time because I know how busy your days are over at the hospital, and I'm so grateful that we were able to connect today. And I'm sure my audience. Uh, will join me in their gratitude to have heard the story of an IBCLC who works in the hospital. Thank you so much for spending time with me. It was my pleasure. I love it. I love to be able to communicate our experiences here. This is, um, I think it's really important that people uh, understand what we live day to day, every day, every family. And what their experience is it? I'm, I, I love our families, okay? You give love and you give kindness. You make them feel safe. And then they're ready to move forward and meet the challenges that they're faced with, you know, if they have that kind of feeling. So I think it's really yeah. another really important piece. But thank you so much, Lisa, for having me here. And thank you for the work you do. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for the work you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. 
And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.